Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Since its launch, tens of thousands of Muslims have given zakat through NZF. We're the only platform with a national reach enabling you to give zakat to those who need it here. Across the country, Muslims are in need. Your zakat has the potential to change their lives. Just go to www.nzf.org.uk to calculate your zakat, choose how it's used, and keep updated about the impact it's having on the lives of Muslims where you live. NZF. Give zakat here. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. You have Ibrahim Khan here with, for the first time ever, our first and ever addition to the team member, Muhammad Al-Talib. Assalamu alaikum. It's great to be on the podcast for the first time ever. Finally. For the final time. <laughs> well, no, hopefully not for the final time <laughs> with the coronavirus going on. I know, on. <laughs> I know, I know. It is the first time. I have listened to the podcast quite a bit, so I'm glad to finally be on here. Fantastic. Muhammad. So what brought you to IFG and, you know, do you want to tell the audience about your story to joining our team? Yes, of course. So at IFG, I lead IFG.VC, which is the angel syndicate which invests in startups. So I'll tell you about my journey of how I came up and how I came to meet Ibrahim and how I got into IFG. So I'm actually a previous startup founder and straight out of university, I started my first startup and I ran that for a few years. I've exited the startup. So we merged with another company and I managed to exit the startup. What was it called? So my startup was called Seedlink. And we were basically, we built a SaaS product, a software product for food manufacturers to be able to manage their farmers. So they have farmers who provide them with raw inputs. Yeah. So this is in Africa with a lot of small scale farmers. And so yeah. we operated mostly in Malawi, but also in several other African countries. And we provide a software for these food manufacturers to manage their farmer process. And it was a whole journey which got me to that point of starting a startup. And so how did that lead you to IFG? So from seeds and uh, software <laughs> in Malawi. So it was less the startup itself and more my startup journey. It didn't just out of the blue, I started a startup. It was a whole journey that I went on through university and by being in London and seeing all these successful examples around me and the support system around me that got me to that yeah. point. And that was what actually led me to IFG because while I was going through all these support networks, I've been through a number of different accelerators. My university had a number of different pitch competitions and I was really guided and molded to the point where I was able to create a startup. And on that startup journey, I was supported throughout that journey. But what I found while I was part of this like amazing network and community was that I was normally the only Muslim or one of the few Muslims. And so when I did exit the, my startup, I was looking around and saying, I want to find my community because as accepted as obviously the general London sort of community is, you still want to look for your own personal community, especially because I found Muslims were lacking in that space. And, you know, just by looking around, I came across Ibrahim and Islamic Finance Guru on LinkedIn, actually. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. And without, you know, any real intentions of, of what I just sent him a message to, like, see what he's up to and, and to meet and see what he's doing. And from there, it really just progressed very, very quickly, I must say, into what we're doing now. I like how you're referring to me 
in the third person. <laughs> I mean, I know you're sitting right in front of me, but uh, in my mind, the story goes that, that you know, yeah, there's yeah. an Ibrahim there. Yeah, 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 no, that makes sense. Brilliant. And then what has been the most challenging thing, but also the most exciting thing since joining IFG? So it's almost like a startup on its own. So obviously IFG.vc is a subsidiary of Islamic Finance Guru, but is growing almost independently. Yeah. And so one is the challenge of, of actually seeing you know, what are the goals that we're going to set and how do we want to build that culture around it? And that's yeah. always the exciting actually, part. Yeah. Be- before we dive into that, it might be useful just for our audience to kind mm-hmm. of understand what IFG.vc of is. Course. So IFG.vc is basically a name that we give to our angel syndicate. And our angel syndicate is... A group of angel investors who invest in early stage companies, normally Muslim companies, but they don't necessarily have to be. But the key thing they have to be is obviously Sharia compliant. And we'll talk about all of the kind of other commercial things that we look for as well very shortly. But yeah, you were saying mm-hmm. IFG.vc, uh, big challenges and the biggest achievements or the highlights. Right. Yeah. So IFG.vc is an angel syndicate. We are investors who are willing to put their money down into new and innovative ideas. This is the first time that this is actually coming into being and it's like a startup on its own. And, you know, thinking about the culture and our goals and where we want to see ourselves in a few years, that's definitely the most challenging, but also the most exciting because sometimes you can feel a bit unsure of where you're actually heading. But at the same time, it means you're setting the bedrock and the foundation of something that's hopefully going to be a very big venture in the future. But obviously in terms of exciting things, whenever you do a deal, that is the most exciting time. When you finally reviewed a startup and met them so many times and finally said, yes, we're going to invest in the startup and you bring that to your network, definitely the most exciting time. And you do feel that feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. What's been the best or most interesting or memorable deal that we've worked on since you've been around? I mean, you've been around about two months Two months now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say Oxwash, because I think that's the one we spent the most time on. Yeah. So far, at least. Yeah. They're a cool company. They're an innovative company. And I think they're the one who at least... What was... do they do? So Oxwash is... Do wash, wash oxes? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. So Oxwash is a laundry startup founded in Oxford, hence the name Oxwash. The founder is actually a previous space engineer. He's worked at, at NASA and SpaceX, so really cool companies. And they, one, have developed new technology in the cleaning process, so the laundry process, so they can clean clothes without heating the water. And a very special process of doing that. They've also designed internet-connected sensors, which can connect to washing machines, which help automate the whole process. So what they're doing with that is that they have created a completely new model for B2B washing, so business washing. So, for example, you know, hotels or restaurants who normally use commercial laundry services they have created a completely new model to be able to do that in a much more efficient and cheaper and environmentally friendly way using the technology as well as a superior logistic system. Interesting. I mean, I say interesting as if I'm hearing of this for the first time. <laughs> so Oxwash is a really exciting company, actually. Kyle, the founder, he actually was featured on the Forbes 30 under 30. He was, just as uh, Ibrahim and Mohsen were. <laughs> well, we're going to humbly not, not mention that, but as you've uh, mentioned it, I'm going to own it. But no, Kyle is a fantastic guy, really, really switched on guy. And I think the kind of caliber of investors that he's brought on board as well, they were initially targeting half a million, then it went to a million, and then they ended up raising... 1.4 million, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. They were completely overfunded. And yeah. they almost wanted to cut down our investment in there, which yeah. we refused them and said, no, we have to invest in you. No, no, absolutely. And Alhamdulillah, I think we're now getting a lot of really strong deal flow like this. I mean, the Oxwash, we co-invested alongside Bistone, who's the Twitter co-founder. We invested alongside a whole bunch of funds. We invested alongside a whole bunch of 
unicorn CEOs. When I say unicorn CEO, I mean companies that have a valuation over over a billion. So these guys, they know what they're talking about and they're putting their money into these startups. And actually some of these guys are part of our syndicate. So that's where they heard about the deal from. So I can completely see why that would be exciting. But I thought it'd be great to, whilst we're alive on this podcast, just talk about what we look for in startups. And the reason why I think it would be good to talk about that is because so many startups, they come to us and they say, well, can you explain to us what exactly you look for? Right. And what are the criteria? And I think it'd be useful for people, even if they're not a startup founder, if they're perhaps, everyone has a bit of an idea for a Mm -hmm. company that they want to do. Mm -hmm. So even if they're thinking about coming up with a good idea, what it would be useful, I think, for them to hear Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. what investors look for right. to invest in right so take it away Mohammed. what do we invest yeah in? i mean i mean the first thing for anyone who has an idea i say go for it execute on that idea test it out tell as many people as you can about that idea and, and just go for it i mean that's how innovation comes out and even if one idea doesn't doesn't work there are so many others i mean i have so many ideas in my, in my head all the time you play around with different things and you always have to innovate but in terms of startups i think a good first place to start is what is an actual startup so literally, the definition of startup is basically a new business. Yeah. But when we talk about startups and startup culture, what we actually mean is examples today would be companies like Facebook were or Google were back in 10 or 15 years ago when they were started. Yeah. And it's a very specific culture around a startup. The two or three factors which really define a startup, I would say, are one, scalability. So this is a startup which has the mission and vision to reach a global scale. So Facebook is predominant you know, almost all around the world. And you can find Facebook all around the world. And the startup needs to have that vision of scaling across the world. The second is around founders. And normally founders have a lot of influence around the startup. So if we talk about Facebook, we think about Mark Zuckerberg. If we talk about Amazon, you think about Jeff Bezos or Tesla, and you think about Elon Musk. So founders, normally they have a very specific passion around the idea that they are trying to solve, the problem they're trying to solve. And that comes across because starting a business and growing a business is not a very easy task. It takes a very specific kind of person and a very specific kind of passion to be able to push yourself to actually reach that scale. And so that's why founders play a very important role. And the third, which I think people actually see as the opposite, is that startups are meant to be low capital businesses. They're supposed to bootstrap as much as possible We always hear the stories of Facebook being started in a garage or in a dorm room. There are terms like ramen profitability. And all that means is that these startups are as for with at least capital as possible. They want to make the biggest impact. Mm. And I think in today's world, we hear a lot of billion-dollar companies. So we think startups are all about putting a lot of money in an idea. And that's completely the opposite. It's all about the minimal amount of capital that you can reach the biggest impact. And those are the three things I would say are what makes a startup. So... If we summarize then, do you think it would be fair to say that one of the key things that we look at are scalability? If it's a company that has the potential and is operating in a market that allows it to reach something like a billion pounds at some point, even if a company reaches hundreds of millions of pounds, we're happy with that. But ultimately, we want the company to have a sufficiently large plant pot for that plant to be able to grow to as big a size as possible. Mm-hmm. So we want to see a large plant pot, in essence, what I'm saying. Then, as you said, founders and team, really, really crucial. We, we can talk about each of these in detail. Product, the idea itself needs mm-hmm. to be good. If you look at it from a, what do we mean by product? I think product itself can be split up into defensibility, and we can talk about that. And also, I think product needs to have some level of traction. So 
high level then what I'm saying is one, scalability and potential market size. Is it big, really big? And I think scalability, there's an element of tech there as well. Because naturally, really scalable companies, they always have an element of tech there in order to make that possible. So one is scalability, two is founders in the team, three is product, and within product, we're looking at defense. Is that company going to become a monopoly and defend against competition? And two, what level of traction has it had to show that actually there is a need for this product in the market? So why don't we dive into scalability a bit more? Yeah, of course. So in terms of what we look for in a startup and whether we want to invest in a startup, as Ibrahim mentioned, there are two broad things. The first is scalability and the second one is defensibility. So what scalability means is that this startup has the potential to reach a global scale, or at least reach a scale where the valuation of that company would, what they call a unicorn or a billion pound or billion dollar valuation. And that's generally why most startups are internet-based startups, because the internet is highly scalable. It requires low amounts of capital to start, and it's highly scalable across the world. Can you give an example of a company that wouldn't be a startup and yet is an early stage company? I mean, there are so many examples. I mean, in terms of a startup that perhaps would not reach that, it normally comes down to market size. And so if you are solving a problem for a niche market, even though you could be a startup, you won't be able to scale past that niche market. So, you know, if it's something very specific for any example yeah. of, of a niche or a niche target market, whether that is people who only eat fruits, for example, or some, yeah. something, any sort yeah. of niche market, that is normally what would limit the scale of a startup. And other ideas could be things like news agents, for example, companies that are really hardware driven, mm-hmm. like they need to have bricks and mortar in shops somewhere, company selling beds mm-hmm. that has a shop on the high street is not what we would say is a typical startup. But on the other hand, if it's a company that's online only and selling beds, that very much could be a startup. That's the kind of gray area where it may or may not be a startup. Yeah, there is a blurry line these days, for sure. I would say when you look for whether a startup will have fast growth and scalability, what you're really looking for is an underlying industry shift or underlying cultural shift. And what I mean by that is an example today could be something like Beyond Meat, where there is an, you know, an underlying shift where people are trying to look for more ethical sources of protein. There are a lot more vegans and vegetarians. And Beyond Meat was a startup that was created by scientists to create alternative meat protein, alternative protein, sorry, in, in the form and shape of meat. And they become a billion dollar company yeah. very, yeah. very quickly. And they took advantage of the underlying shift and they, and they built a huge company. And Facebook back in 2006 yeah. when social media were popular, they rode the wave of underlying shift. Yeah. And that's how you can tell a startup will be a huge scale. That's a really good point. And I think that's important to kind of reiterate in that if you're looking to set up a company or you are a company that's set up, look for emerging trends, look for where there could be opportunities to be had. So for example, right now we're in the midst of coronavirus. That is both an opportunity and a massive threat. Because of coronavirus, there will be things that will change so fundamentally that we will never go back to the way it was before. Mm-hmm. So trends like working from home, I think, will increase. I think the way we look after children mm-hmm. will change. Mm-hmm. I think transport and the way we behave around that mm-hmm. will change. Healthcare will make leaps and bounds in certain areas. There will be a whole range of things. There's wider implications that mm-hmm. happen. For example, driverless cars. Driverless cars, this is a change that is happening, but then there's a whole range of 
ancillary things that will happen as a result of that. So like, you know, 100 years ago, out of town, big supermarkets didn't make sense because people didn't have cars. Now they do. Now with driverless cars, what is the big change that's going to happen here? So as a result of that, maybe supermarkets will just have sections where driverless cars will drive up and park up and robots will load them in. And there you have, instead of people thinking, oh, the big money is to be made in driverless cars, actually the big money could be made in the robots, it could be made in supermarkets that cater for that, it could be made in the entertainment system whilst you're sitting in the car, not doing anything, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all sorts of things, like the time that it would save as well. It, It could change the way people own cars, for example. 100%, honestly, and I think the coronavirus has made some underlying trends very apparent as well. I just heard that Zoom's founder, Zoom is the the online conferencing software, he just added $2 billion to his net worth because their stock, you know, obviously uh, really increased during this crisis. So you can definitely see that, yeah. Massive. So that's scalability. Yeah, then the second point is defensibility. Yeah, so on that, let's talk about founders and the team. Yes, especially with early stage startups. This is when the startup, you know, they've passed the idea stage, they're starting to build their business, but they sh- still what, what you're betting on is the vision of the company. What you look for, because this company does not have financials to go on and a financial track record, the biggest thing you go on is the founders. Ideas are cheap. What you're looking for is why is it going to be this company that's going to make it in the end and not, you know, one of the, the 10 or, or 100 other competitors are working on the exact same idea. And you can see that one through the previous experience of the founder, whether that he's, he's worked in this industry before, whether he started a startup in a similar sector before, yeah. and those all add to it, obviously his credentials, but also his passion. Why is it that this person really cares about this problem that he wants to solve? Yeah. Because it's resilience that really comes across in the end. So that's, that's the two biggest things we look for in startup founders. I agree. I agree. Background is obviously important, but not essential. Actually, statistically, apparently the biggest indicator of massive companies is that the startup founder was previously a startup founder mm-hmm. at CEO level of a company. And then the next thing he does becomes quite successful. So background is really, really important. Also, I think the ability to pivot right. and the ability to show that they have that commercial acumen like right. they have that almost weasel like i don't know with weasels probably like a negative animal to use but almost like a fox like or phoenix like ability to rise from the ashes and just make something out of nothing just have a remarkable ability to make stuff happen right i think is a really sound indicator of mm-hmm. a quality startup it's the ability to acknowledge your weaknesses and your problems and be able to sort of plan to overcome them. Yeah. That's definitely a very positive. And the team, again, is also important to, if you're able to attract the right kind of talent. Yeah. So it's not just about the founder, but has he managed to pull somebody who had a high paying job before, who's quit his job to work on the startup? And, you know, that shows that this person is able to convince others to join him on his mission. And that's a very, very good indicator as well. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So we've done founders and team. What about talking about other areas of defensibility? So why don't I talk a bit about defense and then you talk about traction? Mm -hmm. So on defense, we're looking at essentially three main kinds of defense. The first is IP. The second is economies of scale. And the third is network effects. So these are typically the three kinds of effects or defenses that your average billion dollar startup will show and it will mean that it will be able to stave off competition and survive in the long run 
And we really like to see one of these three things and the, or the potential for one of these three things to really take hold because you don't want to be investing money in a company that anyone else can copy. You don't want to be investing in a company that is not differentiated from its rivals. And it's remarkable. And everyone says, what's your USP, your unique selling point in the startup world? But we see so many deals where people don't make that USP point really aggressively and clearly because that is ultimately what is going to make your business ride and fall. So what do I mean about those three things? So the first is IP, intellectual property. So a company like, for example, Oxwash has patents pending on the technologies that it's developed. Patents are things that are very sticky. It's going to be hard for another company to be able to replicate that if you've got a patent on something. So that's great. Google obviously has great intellectual property, lots of research and academia behind what they do. Actually, it was created by a bunch of Stanford PhD grads. So that says something. Economies of scale is self-explanatory. If you are going to get bigger and that's going to drive your price is cheaper then and your costs lower then that's great so people like amazon are a classic example of this no one can compete with amazon because of the scale they've reached and then finally network effects so network effects are things that people like Facebook will take advantage of, and to some extent, Google will take advantage of. And network effects is this idea that for every additional user that is added to that pool of users in that company, that company becomes more valuable for everyone. So for every additional user on Facebook, Facebook itself becomes more valuable, and every other user benefits more from that. And that means that you have this virtuous cycle and an exponential curve. So if you add five people, the benefit to Google for Facebook isn't plus five. The benefit to Facebook is like times 25 because of just all the other additional value that it will bring to everyone. And so that's great because once you've got that snowball going, it's very hard to now imagine someone taking over from Facebook as a network. And then same with Google, right? Google is actually a hidden network. On the one side, you've got us consumers who search stuff and use their products. And on the other hand, you've got the companies who are selling their products via the ads at the top of Google. And for every additional consumer, more companies want to buy ads on Google. And for every company that's on there and it's adding value to Google and it adding value to the internet as a whole by having its website and having its search engine optimized content, that means more consumers are going to want to look for it. So in a sense, you've got these strong network effects there make it really hard to think about any company that's going to overcome Google. So yeah, those are the three things we look for. Hamid, do you want to talk a little bit about traction? Yeah, 100%. So those are three great things and those are really what you try to look for in terms of defensibility. In terms of traction, what it essentially means is that a startup founder will normally tell us that this is the problem and this is how we're solving it. The response to that is prove it. And there are many ways you can show traction. Obviously, the best way to show traction is to show that customers are willing to pay for it. So you show how many customers have been willing to pay for your product, despite it being a scrappy, built-out-of-the-garage product. But you don't have to always have paying customers to be able to prove your traction. Obviously, there are some companies who still have to build out the product to a certain takes a bit of time to build the product before they can get on paying customers. But there are so many other ways which you can prove that. So a good way is to build an MVP. What's an MVP? So an MVP is a minimal viable product. And that's basically the minimal amount of work you have to do to show the concept. That could be as simple as a landing page. 
That could be a landing page with a statement on top that states the problem. If you're interested in, in the solution, sign up here. And you could show that whoever's interested in this solution that you're offering, they have put their email down. And you can show that we have 10,000 people signed up on a waiting list wanting our product. Hmm. And that shows traction. That shows that people actually do have this problem, which I am describing. And they're willing to put some sort of effort to show that they are willing to buy my product when we launch. Why is that important to see from a startup? Because like, look, you've got a startup, there's an idea stage. Mm -hmm. And then typically we don't invest just at pure idea stage. Right. We invest a little bit later on. Right. Normally when there's at least some level of traction. Right, right, right. What's special about that versus Mm -hmm. right at the start? So it comes back to my point on bootstrapping that startups are all about minimal capital and maximizing that. So if somebody's actually passionate about the idea, they will do whatever it takes yeah. to build that. And so if it's just an idea, for example, they will work full time and work on the idea part time and use that to fund their operations. They will go to every family and friend they have and, and get as much capital they can to believe in the idea before it reaches the stage where we will invest. So that's also track record for us. This startup founder was willing to sacrifice his money and his time to put into the idea. Yeah, amazing. I completely agree. Traction is such a good indicator of not just the idea, that there might be some legs in it, but also the founder. Mm -hmm. He actually cares and is bothered enough to do something about this and has actually got something to show for it. Great. Well, Muhammad, I think we're out of time, but it has been a pleasure shooting the breeze with you on startups. (laughs) And inshallah, we'll do this a lot more. And if you guys have any specific stuff that you'd like us to cover that wasn't really clear in this episode, then please just drop us a line. Ibrahim at IslamicFinanceGuru.com or Muhammad, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D at IslamicFinanceGuru.com. And we'll be happy to oblige. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, as well as our MVP, if you are interested in finding out more about startups and want us this to be a, a continuous thing, drop us a line and we'll see how many people are interested. Brilliant. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.